Hey everybody, Pastor Gary here. I'm super excited that you chose to join us today online at Living Way Church. I'm so sorry about last week's difficulties that kept us from streaming the message. Those difficulties still continue today. This is my third take. I apologize. Today we're going to continue our series, hopefully, in the book of Ephesians, and we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Before I get there, though, I want to share some background information to the letter that I don't remember if I shared previously when we started the series. I believe so, but I may have forgotten. So I'll share it now because it has relevance concerning today's passage. Paul is writing this letter from Rome where he has been imprisoned. And he's been imprisoned by the Jews for spreading the truth that Jesus is the Lord and King of this world. For sharing that Jesus is the one true God of this world. For sharing that the only means by which man's sins might be forgiven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. These great truths that Paul has been called by Jesus himself to share have caused him to be imprisoned. Today, we live in a country that ensures our freedom of speech as well as our freedom of religion. However, I believe those freedoms are currently under attack. Much of our culture feels that we have the freedom to speak whatever religious truths we desire within only the four walls of the church. Today in the United States, people have lost their jobs for expressing their religious views because some of those views held by Christians run counter to our cultural views and understandings concerning life and humanity. And these freedoms, as a result, are currently under attack, not only for Christians, but for Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, and any other religion that may hold understandings of life and humanity as sacred. And particularly, if they run contrary to our culture's current views of life and humanity. Friday, I watched a disturbing video of a black man who was walking with a sign that simply said, Jesus loves you. He was walking through a Black Lives Matter protest. They dumped some unknown liquid on him, and then they poured flour all over him so that he would appear to be white. They then ridiculed him and spat upon him for his religious views and now for his white appearance. This is the direction in which our country is headed concerning religious liberties. This is not simply a, simple, a single act of bigotry being met out against this man. Similar acts are being done all across American universities towards young Christians who refuse to change their biblical understandings of the world to fit the current culture. Today, we are all being faced with the reality that this future for America in which Christians are being met with persecution in the public square is not a future. It is our present reality. It is a reality we must all prepare ourselves for. I do not believe that this reality is going away. I do believe it is going to intensify. Why? Because it is not only occurring here in America, but these attacks and persecutions are increasing all across our world. Where there once was tolerance, there is only intolerance and now hatred. The ruler of this world, who is Satan, seeks to destroy the church. 
Paul in the book of Ephesians is preparing us mentally and spiritually for the struggle that is coming. We need to pay close attention to his writings so that when the persecution comes, we might stand and stand in the power of the Holy Spirit clothed in the person of Jesus. So, let's continue our study in the book of Ephesians and let's look at Paul's glorious edification of the church in this next passage in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. <clears throat> Paul begins in verse 1, and he writes, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now remember, Paul is writing from Rome as a prisoner of the Roman Empire, and he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's saying, don't look at me as a prisoner of this world and the ruler of this world. I am chained to Christ Jesus and his call on my life to preach the good news of Jesus to the Gentile world. If there is an imprisonment that we need to focus on and really be concerned with, it is that Paul is a prisoner to Christ and Christ Jesus' plan was for him to be imprisoned in Rome that he might declare Jesus before Caesar. That is now Paul's hope and desire, and it is all for our sake that Jesus has led him to Rome in chains, so that the gospel of Jesus might flourish in Rome, and from there be taken to the rest of the world. He continues in verse 2, and he writes, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's saying that it is common knowledge, so surely you know that God has called first Peter to go to the Jews, and he has called now me, Paul, to go to the Gentiles. This is why many call Paul the, apo the apostle to or of the Gentiles. Paul was called to plant churches in the major cities of the Roman Empire, and then God would use the mobility of the Roman Empire to spread the gospel. Then, in verse 3, we read, That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. The mystery that Paul is referring to here would be that Paul would go to the Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus, and God the Father would make the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, one body in Christ Jesus. Together they would become the church. The dividing wall between the two has been destroyed. In verse 4 then he writes, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Historically, Israel was, unfortunately, essentially self-centered when it came to their God. They chose to keep him to themselves. But God, but God would not be contained to just Israel. In Christ Jesus, he would extend his grace to the world through the, through the apostles and the prophets of the church. Most Jews would never expect God to extend his saving grace to the Gentile nations. They essentially saw God as a national treasure to be hoarded and kept among themselves. It was meant only for them. This separate and not equal feeling from the Jews towards the Gentiles is what Paul was trying to overcome in chapter 2. <clears throat> we see this as Paul continues in verse 5, where he writes, which was not made known, this mystery, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit 
to God's holy apostles and prophets. The truth that God has that God was calling the world to himself, not just Israel, was not understood by Israel. And as much as I believe God was calling them to do this very thing from Genesis 12 forward. They were allowed to remain ignorant to the plan of God, however, that would be fully revealed later by the Spirit of God through the holy apostles and the prophets. This mystery, the bringing together of God's people, made of people from every nation and every tongue, as the church, has been revealed and is now being brought to fruition through the very blood of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus. In verse 6, Paul's going to bring all of this together, and he writes, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. All those who have faith in Christ Jesus are now co-heirs with Christ, both Jew and Gentile. We now exist as one body, the church, and we have become sharers as one body in the promise in Christ Jesus, it says. But what is this promise that is in Christ Jesus? Ultimately, it is that we will one day inherit the kingdom of heaven, which will be on earth. This promise begins with Adam and Eve. When Adam first sinned and God was pronouncing the curse upon them both, and upon the serpent. God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he says, And I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. I'm going to work backwards through this verse so that we might see what's being said. We see that you, the serpent, will strike his, in reference to Jesus, heel. Jesus will be wounded, but he cannot and will not ultimately face death, as man will now face death through the curse. But, it says, he, being Jesus, will crush your, the serpent's, head. This will be a one-time fatal blow that will send Satan and his demons to hell for eternity. And because of the fall, there will be eternal enmity between Satan and humanity. But God, but God promises here that there is hope one day future. Then the story continues. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God is speaking directly to Abram, whom he'll rename as Abraham. And he gives another continuation of the original promise from Genesis 3.15. God says, The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This last part is the most important. All the families on earth will be blessed by the seed of Abraham, it says. That seed will one day be Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, all the families on earth are blessed. These promises that Israel assumed were only meant for them, we now see were meant for so many more than just Israel. And we who are now in Christ Jesus, whether we are Jew or Gentile, are now sharers in the blessing of the promise that is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Every promise and every covenant made between God and Israel finds its fulfillment in Jesus. 
and we are now all one body in Christ. Therefore, all the promises are now laid upon the church. Paul continues in verse 7, and he writes, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Paul no longer serves Israel, nor the elders of Israel. He is now a servant of his King, his Christ, his Jesus, and by M. Paul, by God's grace, his unmerited favor was given the gift while on the road to Emmaus as to the truth of who Jesus is. We read about this in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and following. We're going to go to verse 5. It reads, Meanwhile, Saul, who becomes Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And in that moment, Paul is blinded physically, but he's given sight spiritually, and he sees the folly of his life up to that point. Paul is brought face to face with the blinding supernatural power of the glorified risen Jesus. When Jesus appeared before Paul, he had been exalted by the Father and seated at his right hand. His exaltation resulted in a radiance that was physically blinding to Saul, whom Jesus would eventually rename as his apostle, Paul. And Jesus renames him to show dominion and power over him as his Lord and his master. It is this enlightened understanding that leads Paul to say that he has now become a servant to the gospel of Jesus. And it is the knowledge of who he previously was as a persecutor of not only the church, but of Jesus that leads him in verse 8 to write, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentile the boundless riches of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to the last person anyone would expect when he went to Paul. And Paul, as a result, understands the immense value of the grace that was shown to him. When Jesus not only saved his soul from the pit of hell, but also called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And because of this, Jesus holds a value that goes beyond anything anyone could ever imagine for Paul. And it should for us as well. Paul continues in verse 9 and he writes, And to bring light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? I certainly hope that we are all beginning to see the immense weight that we all now carry and that we have all been called to share the gospel of Jesus, just as Paul was called. We have been enlightened to God's plan, a mystery that was hidden, but has now been revealed to us by the very creator of the heavens and the earth. How awesome the privilege to be a servant to the gospel of Jesus. And this is exactly what Paul is going to now write 
about in the next verse. In verse 10, he writes, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. <clears throat> the manifold wisdom of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is now going to be made known through the church. But wait a second. Who is it ultimately going to be made known to? This says to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God has made known his ultimate plan for the salvation of mankind to the spiritual realm by the preaching of the gospel through the church. Every time the church preaches the gospel of Jesus, our audience is not simply the lost, but it is the entirety of the spiritual realm. They either stand in awe or they tremble in fear at the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 11 then says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of this was God's eternal plan that has now been realized and fulfilled in Jesus from eternity. From the beginning, this was God's plan, that you and I would be elect in Christ Jesus, that we would be saved from our sins by the blood of Jesus, that we would receive the blessings in the heavenlies that come from being in Jesus, and that we, the church, would proclaim the good news of Jesus before this hurting, lost world and before the heavenly realm. In verse 12, Paul writes then concerning Jesus, he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. If we are in Jesus, there is nothing that can stand against us. And so we preach with boldness because in Jesus, our words are given access, not only to the hearts and minds of humanity, but to the very ears of those in the heavenlies. This is the power of the faith that is within us, a faith that is created and sustained by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That is why it is a faith that can move mountains. God, through faith, causes our spoken words to touch hearts and minds and see them eternally changed. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to change the mind of a stubborn person? I know, I'm one of them stubborn people. I get it. It might at times seem easier to move a mountain than to change the mind of the lost. But God... And then in verse 13, Paul reassures his listeners and he writes, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul is saying, look, I know what this looks like, but you are not seeing with eyes that are tainted by the blood of the gospel of Jesus. Because if you did, you would see that I am exactly where God wants me to be. It may not look promising to you, <clears throat> but to Jesus, it is an open door to the world. Rome was the center of the known world at this time in history. All politics and commerce in the known world was touched by and flowed through Rome at this time in history. It was essentially the center of the known world. And it is exactly where God led Paul to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Even though he may suffer, and even if that suffering leads to his death, 
it would all be as the apostle to the Gentiles. It would be a suffering on their behalf, and it would bring them glory through the grace of God by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for Paul, that's everything. This world has not changed much in 2,000 years. Just as it was hostile to Jesus then, it is still hostile to him today. Those who boldly proclaim Jesus will always be seen as the enemy of the culture in which they find themselves. Why? Because the people in this world are ruled by the ruler of this world. Right now, unfortunately, the one word that simply does not describe our nation is peace. People's hearts are anxious for so many things right now. Whether it be injustice or racial division, coronavirus, unemployment, economic uncertainty, the elections, all of these right now are causing a huge well of anxiety within our nation. It is as though we are experiencing as a nation a national anxiety attack. And just as the human body will physically begin to punish itself and work toward its own destruction when experiencing an anxiety attack, our society, our nation is doing that very thing. We need peace. Satan seeks to kill, steal, and destroy humanity. Not just here in the USA. That's why people from countries all over the world are protesting and rioting against what they believe and see as racial injustices in America. Our world needs peace. Satan is only going to bring strife and division. Those are his goals. However, the goal of the church as we preach the gospel of Jesus is and must be peace. We have only response to the unrest and anxiety that we see all around us. And that is Jesus. We need to preach a gospel of peace to this hurting and lost world. We also need to understand that many will not respond positively. Many may even respond violently to the church. We must stand and we must stand with boldness and confidence and preach peace through the blood of Jesus. And when we do, Jesus will give us access to the areas that we need access. He will be the one who will open the doors that need to be opened. He will act on his behalf for his glory. We simply need to go. Go to all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. And we always need to know just as Paul knew that Jesus is with us always to the very end of the age. This is our call. This is our responsibility. This is our duty in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I expect this world to only become more and more hostile towards those whom you have called by your name. Fill us anew and fresh with your spirit so that we might respond rightly to your gospel and your grace that we might go.
God send us as peacemakers between you and humanity. Peacemakers sent with a message of peace between men and women of all races and backgrounds. Father, we pray that you would move in the hearts of those who are suffering so deeply right now with an anxiety that has been stirred up by Satan so as to bring division and destruction to this nation and to this world. Touch their hearts and calm their minds so they might hear your gospel and know your son. And Father, touch our hearts that we might have the boldness and desire to go to those who are in need of your peace filled truth and father let your church be a beacon of peace and unity that even though they may meet in different buildings allow them to be seen by the world as one body united by the blood of jesus with one purpose the proclamation of the gospel of jesus and let there be peace father son and holy spirit we thank you three in one bless us that we might be a blessing to all the families of this great world. Father, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. Amen. And now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen, and God bless.